welcome back to another episode of Liberty Matters. You're with Anthony and Sean, and we're here discussing current events and connecting the dots uh, through a conservative worldview lens with an aim to put faith back into politics. Um, Sean, bud, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Good. It's uh, We got past the World Economic Forum coming out last week, so it's always you know, the gravy train of what they're going to come out of that one with, with a repertoire of utopia and ideas. Um, we got that. We had, well, everything keeps evolving around Biden documents versus now Mike Pence. So it's interesting, which is not, we'll see. We're, we're not jumping in the main point of the show today. I'll just throw out where we're going. This one today is not to dig into that side because there's so much going on. We're going to, we will continue to address it and we will continue to follow it. Um, but the main piece that we're going to be hitting in today is we're going to talk about some of the stuff that came up is a bit kind of like an ESG update, certain things going on in the ESG world. And one of the big moves on the Second Amendment that just came out from the ATF with a their now shift to put a ban on the stabilizing pistol braces. So that's where we're going. Uh, and then beyond that, we shall see uh, where time lands. But that's why we want to make sure those are the two areas that we're going to hammer into. Um, and not surprisingly, coming out of the World Economic Forum last week, they come up with their own repertoire of insanity of how they can shift control people's lives. And well, even like we played in the last show, Sean, uh, John Kerry, I think what was his clip that he had that sat there, that it's an amazing time for the elite group of people or whatever to come together and pontificate about being telling peons how to live their lives. Yeah. And well, also having a single spike in uh prostitution in davos oh yeah which that's always <laughs> it's always an amazing thing like so you have like even the world cup you have that every time there's like some big event something with like and a lot of these elites and it's something like the davos they all come to why is there always a spike in sex trafficking and prostitution at these event like areas the locations it, like it's just it's despicable regard like but i mean the question that i the many questions i have that revolve out of that and these, hey, these but all... we're gonna we're gonna tell them how to live our lives. Yeah, or these they, are the... sorry, sorry, excuse me. They want us to listen to them on how to live our lives. Yeah, exactly. As they fly around in their jets and tell people that you should end, stop having gas stoves. <laughs> um. So, all right. One thing I want to I wanted to start us off with Sean is to try to level set. There is something that kind of some people get often very conflicted and confused on, and I'll say this out of the conservative. And from a Christian worldview, um, and this has to do with this view of environmentalism. And I'm not, we're not going to get deep into it because then we're going to shift into ESG. But I just want to level set something that what people actually misunderstand when we talk about environmentalists. Actual environmentalism is a conservative and Christian value because we are called as Christians to be good stewards of our land. And in Genesis, we were given to have dominion over, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Um, however, this was also something hijacked by the leftists and the degrowth movement out of the 1970s with environmentalism. And then you saw everything that comes out of that from global cooling to global warming to climate change, right? That was a whole different shift about controlling population, controlling people. But they've basically, they use it as, and they used it as a Trojan horse. And I say all that to not throw people off that. Look, if you want to really understand it's Sean, we, we actually, I do want to dig into this. I think we talked about this. We should dig into a deep into another episode on like all the land grab and stuff in China's buy and all that stuff, right? Because if you really want to understand what they're going against is how to save this, what's going on in this nation, the farmers have a more 
and an environmentalist view than most because they understand how to take the planet, take care of the planet, take care of the land. The ranchers know how to do that because they're living with the land, not people that just move to suburbia and get their soy lattes and then tell people in the Midwest or wherever in a ranch to go how they should live their lives and stop eating meat and go eat insects. So all that's to say is just a quick level set of where there's a big, like that misunderstanding, right? And that from, look, this goes right into Genesis 1, 26, 28, right? Where it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image, in, in the image God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And it goes even further to say, look, and Isaiah says that God formed the earth and made it look and he established it. He didn't create it to be empty. He formed it to be inhabited. God created earth to be occupied and developed by human beings that were made in his image. Now, this goes back to what I was saying from the environmentalist movement today, as we previously discussed, this flip, it flips this idea on its head and says you as a human are to be subdued to the planet, which is the polar opposite view from a Christian worldview and a conservative worldview. This is an anti-human and anti-life position and the leftist and today's environmentalist, as they coin themselves as, this is stated, and we stated this many times, you have to understand the position that's starting that the left starts from and their standard of value is anti-human life and biblically speaking this tells this tells us to be good stewards of our land and develop it for purposes that are pleasing to god right the the biblical principle about the moral goodness and developing and enjoying the earth's resources stands in contrast to the views of the radical environmentalists today many of whom hold to the quote-unquote untouched nature as their ideal and therefore objective object to they object to activities with like the use of animals and medical research and other things, right? Um, and that's what we've talked about in our previous episodes, that this untouched version of nature, they want to put the standard of value is the planet over standard of value being your human of human life. And this is why environmentalists today in that version of the term uh, will attempt to block many new building projects through the use of claiming lawsuits, claiming some species of like, I don't know, a turtle or a small creature like a uh, owl will be damaged. Uh, so for instance, uh, farmers in California, San jo- Joaquin Ca- uh, Valley have, have had the water they use for growing crops diverted to the Pacific Ocean to save three, a three-inch fish called the Delta smelt. Um, and as a result of this move, because they care so much about the planet, this actually now resulted in rates of Unemployment hitting 40% in the region, which provides much of the produce for the rest of the nation of the world. Thus, this environmentalist action that took place in California had that in that area caused food and food shortages and higher prices, again, harming the poor most of all. And look, we can go into many examples here, but that's just one clear point that I want to throw out there as an example of where this position comes from, this environmentalist movement, and how it actually stands in a anti-life, anti-human life position and starts creating a process that we've seen continuously over and over again, which we is the process is the punishment where this is the mindset of the left, where they're creating things and putting things in place that is creating more poverty, 
raising the price of goods, creating food shortages. Um, so with everything we're seeing with the governments across the world today, like Sean, there's no way you can make the case that this type of level of control on what people are doing and how they're coming after your life isn't happening. And that's when you truly understand the basis where they're coming from. It's again, just to repeat it, um, it stems from this anti-life position. Uh, so they, and they, they know the actual changes that they were doing to your life. They, they don't, and a lot of problems is like, well, he's talked about the, how they pontificate in the world economic forum and these elitists, right? They don't actually believe it. They don't want to live that way. They don't believe in it, but like everything else, again, I keep saying this because the process is the punishment to these people. So their way of controlling you is to create a system and processes that control your life and make it more difficult for you to live, but it's not for them. It's the rules for thee, but not for me. Right. Or the old, what is that thing? Old NIMBY, like not in my backyard. They always want to pass it off, but they don't live that way. Um, and look, we, like we said, it goes from this, like this gas stove nonsense, or what is it like the FDA is passing various insects that could be used for consumption. Um, I mean, what checking, even the latest thing you see them going after right now, Sean, I saw this, that they want to say, we need to stop drinking coffee because it's, uh, you know, cause they got to save the planet. Um, what does coffee have to do with saving the planet? It's, <laughs> that's a plant, well, isn't that like helping the planet growing coffee? Well, and that's the same thing, right? It's well, even the same. Their attack on fossil fuels. It's fossil fuels. It's carb. It's really aged fossils and plants that we dig up out of the planet and we develop into natural resources of like oil, right? And yet somehow, I was like, I always like this green movement. They really keep going after things that come out of plants and then they want to attack what's actually from and being humans developing and using the resources fruitfully as God designed them to be. Um, but just last week at the world economic forum, Sean, you want to talk about control and tracking everything people are doing? Well, okay. So you have the Alibaba president, um, J Michael Evans that was sitting there and which by the way, then the connection to the being a parent company of Google, <laughs> Um, and I think, what is it? Wasn't Google's slogan, their slogan, used, maybe it used to be, or they might have switched it. It, was, it used to be like, don't be evil or don't do evil or something, which is quite ironic from everything they actually got their hands in because the Alibaba president, J. Michael Evans, boasts at the World Economic Forum about the development of an, quote unquote, individual carbon footprint tracker. And these people don't even realize how crazy or Orwellian what they say sounds. Because they're they live in the, cl the clouds of this elitism, right? So let's just hear what uh what he how he what he actually said. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. So, Sean, this goes into that level of control and tracking, right? They're sitting there saying they're saying Apple, not Apple, Google, Alibaba. They're sitting here working on a tracker again. And this is not something new. You see this in every corner they're doing. They're working on things to track every single thing that you're doing. And we've talked about this because this is what goes into the overarching um, ESG movement. So... I mean, before the ESG, and so let's just don't jump into that a little bit now and shift into like on the ESG, Sean, like some of the recent stuff going on with ESG. Um, 
because it goes down the same path. This is where they're going, right? So you sit them in the World Economic Forum. You have a president from Alibaba sitting there saying that they're creating a, a tool. Just stand by. Be ready. And they don't even realize how insane these things are that they're saying. And they don't even realize the level of like, if giving somebody that much control and the risk of what it leads to the violation of people's privacy, they don't care at all. Yeah, it's it's interesting that they want to have a carbon footprint tracker, right? And he specifically said how they travel. Well, how did all those folks travel to get to Davos to have this meeting, right? In their own private jets, which is more pollution than if they would have all just come together into, you know, a commercial airline and flown over together, right? Like, so it, it's kind of... Why are you going to track everybody else, but you're not going to set the standard and say, well, this is where we are. This is what the baseline is. Oh, yeah. And that's why we kind of joked in the last episode, even when, like when the green Greenpeace made a comment about it. I'm like, I don't ever agree, agree with anything with Greenpeace, but I agree with the Greenpeace mocking the hypocrisy. I was like, because the people that are actually believe in this save the planet, whatever you want to go down path that they want to throw tomato sauce or whatever they're throwing at paintings over in Europe or gluing their hands to the paintings. Um, if you believe that, right, they're, these are being people, again, that are being used as they're useful idiots because they think they're actually standing and believing for something. But these elitists like uh, J. Michael Evans, they don't care at all. They don't live that lifestyle. Like you, like you said, Sean, like they flew there in all their private jets. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things to point out just from uh, the, hot, the stuff that you touched on that I just want to, you know, put into put a thought out there for people to think about in, in, um, in those aspects. Right. So, so, um, I, I guess, you know, two big things that, that I think that a lot of people don't think about when you, when you think about like a green piece or, or these PETA activists, right. And, and yeah, the um, whole save the bees, save the trees. Yeah. Save. Right. Like you, you, <laughs> You want to divert water, right, for some three inch for the fish that you had mentioned. Um, oh, the, the delta smelt. Yeah, and um, but you don't want to. But and we're concerned about climate change, but we're not stopping building condos or hotels on waterfront property, right? Um, and one thing that I thought was interesting that you had mentioned when we first started about you know um, how farmers are more. Um, more proactive in, in taking care of the the planet than than anybody else, right? If you if you think about what it takes to raise an animal that that provides meat, right? That that process of creating life, right? So we've been we've been very focused on the life versus anti life movements, right? So farmers and ranchers they they create life, right? They they harvest this life, right? They they get get cows right raise them up as part of that process of raising cows goats sheep chickens whatever it is right that that byproduct of the of the cows goes back into the earth and and regrows the food that they that they eat right so it's almost a self-contained process um yeah you and could then almost, you could almost say sean that it's being fruitful and multiplying and subduing the planet as god tasked us to do with to be with right right and that's what, right. that's what they do they make good use of the proper use of the land it's not destroying it like they try to pretend that right. it's being but you you have one one life that's being raised right but this is this is also just 
nature in the world, right? Like it takes a life to continue a life, right? And God gave us cows and all these animals to sustain life. It's the most healthiest thing and most nutrient rich thing that we can consume. And, uh, and it has a small impact to the world and, and provides so many different, you know, things from, from food to <laughs> leather purses, right. And glue, um, versus a, a vegan or a vegetarian perspective where you you have to till up and cut down the land and, and kill all of the little rabbits and snakes and mice. And you basically just devastating a whole eco ecosystem to harvest some lettuce and kale or wheat or corn, whatever it is you're, you, you know, you're trying to offset from a meat perspective. So in reality, I think that vegetarianism and, and veganism is, is far more destructive to the planet than just going with what God intended and eating a yeah. more animal-based diet. Yeah. And I'll say even one step further into that, like destroying of the ecosystem, just another example. Um, just look at the whole like the electric car movement, right? So if we're sure, like the how the difference of how clean the process is of fracking and drilling and getting oil and natural extracted from the, the land comparatively to the very dirty process of the lithium mines and all the stuff that they'd have to dig up the earth. And guess what? The people here that want to claim that they want to save the planet, they don't care about it because they don't see it because it's happening in Africa. It's happening in China and they don't really care. Right. They don't care about the lives that are being used and how it's affected and how that it's actually digging out of the earth is extremely a dirty process, but they pretend it to be otherwise. Okay. So I have a, I have another note on that, that I'm glad that you brought it back up. So we've been told since the Rockefellers that oil is a, a limited resource. Yet We've never run out of oil and we continue to produce oil at an astronomical rate. Well, other countries do. We've been hindered in our ability to produce oil. Um, but I don't think that what we've been told is actually true, right? We say that oil is a fossil fuel, but we get oil far deeper than we've ever discovered fossil fossils, right? We, we've, we've discovered fossils around 14,000 feet and we find oil far deeper than that, around 30,000 feet, right? So it's literally, it's fossilized plants. And that's what they're talking about. The fossils, it's thousands of years old plants that they're pulling this out of in the extraction process. So Yeah, but I don't think that we have an, an, a finite, I don't think it's a finite resource. Oh, not it's, at all. It, it, we've it's, only, like we not like the, it's not like the earth stopped making this, right? It's not like it was made and then just stopped making it. it, it it's continuously produced, right? And and I think that um, we've we've labeled it a finite resource so we can put a price on it right because if we knew that oil was never ending then it would drive down the price forever right but i think that one thing people need to realize is when you when you get renewable energy whether it's sun uh or solar right uh sorry solar or wind um you 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 get nothing from that right it takes something to to extract that resource but that resource gives you nothing in return Whereas oil, oil is used to create those, those, uh, those ways to, to capture those resources, but oil is also used in literally everything else in our lives, right? So it's, you could say that we need to go to more battery or wind or solar powered objects, but it takes oil to, to produce those objects and we will, our, our society, the world would cease to exist without oil. Yeah. And just one piece that I'll say to make very, to your point, Sean, 
With the oil, when they try and say it's a scarce resource, it's a very resource-rich environment when it comes to this, right? Because in Texas, the average oil well is only 900 feet deep. That is quite literally barely scratching the surface. Like hydraulic fracturing reaches the depths that could be ranging from 5,000 to 20,000 feet. If you consider the average ocean depth is 12,430 feet, you're only beginning to get you that only begins to get you the idea of the scale of how much we haven't even tapped in that whole extraction process. There's so much more there and we want to pretend they want to keep saying, oh, we're running out of it. It's disappearing. It's like, it's going to be gone tomorrow. And we've barely actually, the truth is we barely even tapped the surface of that. Like, um, even if you look at like in the ocean, right, there was, uh, like, what was that? It was the deep water horizon oil, mm. um, responsible in the, the 2010 BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico that sits at 35.5 feet beneath the surface. And the world's deepest oil well in Russia reaches an incredible 40,000 feet, which is 7.7 .7 miles, Ta like times one of the world's tallest buildings, just sort of for example, in Dubai, right? It, and this is just saying all of those areas, if you actually understand the depth of how, you know, from getting through the Earth's mantle and the different layers, regardless, we've barely even touched the surface of what is actual the fossilized fuel inside the planet. So all that to say... Uh, Sean, there's a lot there and they try and use it to try and make you pre believe there's something else that's not really the situation occurred, um, as a control mechanism. Yeah. And I, I think one other thing, uh, just so we can move on, uh, you know, we've been told that it's big oil that's against us, right? It's big oil that's just trying to capitalize on us. Right. But, um, all big oil is doing all these oil companies do is extracting it, right? After the extraction, it's where all the money's made, right? With what they make with the oil and, and how the oil is consumed, right? So in, in reality, you know, these tech companies, these, these uh, electric vehicle manufacturers, solar, wind, um, they're, they're the ones actually trying to capitalize on you and, and, and make you more dependent on something that's really not needed and, and making your life far more expensive than it needs to be if we just stayed focused on and refining oil to the most efficient way possible to get the most amount of uh, resources produced out of it as possible, right? So I, I think that we've come a long ways in how we refine oil and how we've processed it. And I think there's still a lot more opportunities for us to give you more uh, efficient with it as technology advances. And if we've made more focus in that, then uh, wasting it, building these products that aren't as efficient um we would probably actually be doing a lot better for the earth yeah and that okay so i'll take that and then just a one last point to wrap it and we'll shift gears with that i'll say which it's a really good point right because we're focusing so heavily on this shift to these renewable resources that are quote-unquote sustainable meanwhile they're extremely unsustainable uh like solar wind um is, it's all a very diluted very weak power source um and if we're going to shift that way to get there, even if we believe that's the path that we want to go down, Sean, we should be investing double the amount that we've been putting to fossil fuels. We should be going to overdrive because we need actual fossil fuels to be able to drive their ability to produce a future if you ever wanted to get to another source of energy, right? Um, and that's just the path that, we're, that it's just how we have to think about how we go forward. And so just to shift gears... In, well, not fully shift gears. I'm going to take this like in, back into the ESG piece. So one of the latest, like some of these updates now back on the ESG side, uh, Breitbart actually had an article that uh, talks about for that ESG is creating this predictable trap of inflation. And it's called the ESG investing is, is a, 
key factor in green inflation, right? So ESG investments have contributed to the decades high inflation we're seeing. Um, ESG is the largest vector through which, this is something we've talked about before, but just to recap it, through which the leftist Wall Street firms pressure corporations to adopt social and political positions such as divesting from oil and natural gas industries, increasing diversity requirements on corporations or other leftist goals, right? The economy, uh, as it continues down this path of recession, uh, business executives have said actually, and Sean, you brought this up back a few weeks back in October, that business executives in a recent KPMG survey said that 59% 59 of CEOs said in October uh, they plan to either pause or reconsider their ESG plans over the next six months, right? So... This is exactly so with like that lens, how exactly is ESG leading to the inflation? Uh, well, David Henderson, a research fellow at the Hoover Institute, and Mark Chaffee, a senior policy analyst with the Reason Foundation, explained to the Wall Street Journal how the ESG priorities would lead to inflation. That's what they said. ESG investing and the management practices it promotes, however, usually increase production cost constraints on capacity. If a company diverts its resources into a formal diversity, equity, inclusion program with all its attending human resource hirees and bureaucracy, it will have less resources available to conduct product research and development. Similarly, if a company whose core competency is oil and gas, like we were talking about, Sean, uh, production chooses to move into the wind and solar, despite having limited expertise in those modes, its output will suffer in general an investment framework that de-emphasizes production in favor of social objectives will divert money away from efficient producers in the same way that taxes will. If So if enough companies focus on ESG priorities, then they risk higher inflation, slower growth, or stagflation. They risk having to raise the prices of their goods um, because they're not producing things efficiently. And so then they, I'll just say that they last, they go on to say, look, to get the U.S. economy back on a path to sustainable growth and low inflation, the Fed must rein in excess liquidity as it's trying to do with raising interest rates. But that alone won't be enough because businesses, investors, and those advisors advising them must push back on the, the ideas such as ESG as they undermine corporate productivity. So that's the, uh, the view of where, look, where ESG, how it's pushing, when you are pushing, like we talked about this idea to emphasize and shift away from investing in oil industry, investing in these companies and businesses and properly focusing on what is the productive revenue generating aspects of a business, you're only going to hurt the productivity of business. You're going to hurt the success of a business. And that's going to change how a business has to operate, which in turn means the customer is paying for it. And there in lies the whole idea that is creating inflation just in some aspect from the ESG movement, not even relating to Sean, how much they're blowing money left and right in our government and other stuff. But that's just talking about just alone what ESG has done while you're going to the good, going to the store and finding like the cost of eggs and other stuff and all that gas, all this is now spiking through the roof again. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of downfall to ESG. I think, you know, there was a, it started out as a, a good intention, uh, but has evolved into catastrophic control. Um, and I think that anybody who has an opportunity opportunity to abstain or object or 
denounce ESG should at every single possibility. And I fully support those states that have pulled out of BlackRock because of their ESG stance. I wish more um, companies and states would continue to do that. Um, because even even in, in, in our world, right, from a regulatory perspective, in talking about, um, you know, what's the next steps for ESG, nobody has any clue what to do, what the expectation is or or what the requirements are. So we're, we're spinning around in circles trying to figure out, well, what do we do with ESG? But we have no guidance. There's no expectation. So just arbitrarily making things up. But what it comes down to ultimately is the ability to track somebody's um, impacts and, and control them. Uh, and that's why they're, I think they're having a hard time at a corporate level. So um, I, 100% against it. And, and I think that if anybody has an opportunity to voice their opinion from a corporate or, or state level should absolutely do so. All right. So I think that actually leads to a really good, a good leader for our nation who has been standing up and pushing onto this fight it is that we've seen taking a strong stance against this ESG movement comes from the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. And he recently, he just came off a recent press release that goes right into this, that the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis has approved measures uh, to prevent the Florida Retirement Pension Plan from investing in accordance with the Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance Movement, aka ESG. Um, so, Sean, it goes right to our point that this is, look, if you have the ability to speak up and stand up against this, this is exactly what you should be doing. Because this approval of the, res of the resolution will ensure that public fiduciaries, and this is now coming out of his press release, quote, invest state funds in a manner that prioritizes the highest return on investment for Florida's taxpayers and retirees without considering ideological agenda of the ESG movement. You know, the philosophy, as we have discussed and will continue to hammer, confuses profit maximization with the political and social agendas, such as reducing carbon emissions or promoting supporting racial equity. And in that press release, Governor Ron DeSantis stated that Further, that the corporations of, uh, across America continue to inject ideological agenda through our economy rather than through the ballot box. Today's actions reinforced ESG considerations will not be tolerated here in Florida, and I will look forward to extending the protections during this legislative session. Thank you, Ron DeSantis. At least somebody is sitting out there standing up to do this, right? And again, we keep coming back. At some point, other states, they're, they're stepping forward. You have certain attorney generals across state, attorney generals across the nation that are stepping up to do things. But this is it, right? You have to realize what he's trying to do. Okay, he's trying to protect the Florida's retirement pension system because they're doing things with your money without your knowledge, without your values behind it, just because your money sits with, in that case, which he pulled out, like BlackRock and other companies, they're using your money and your proxy voting to vote for things that go against you, to vote for equity standards, vote for scope three and other things, emission standards for companies like, like they go into Exxon's board and vote against what you may actually believe because they're trying to force Exxon to go into some green energy. Um, so with that, uh, I think we have a keen opportunity now, Sean, it kind of relays into some of the stuff that went up at the world economic forum again. Um, in this World Economic Forum meeting, speaking of how Ron DeSantis is standing up and how BlackRock has been one of these ones that should be addressed for what they've been doing, uh, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink was there, and what did he have? Like, so what did he have to say about this? Right, because he's sitting here 
responding to what he believes is there's a sinister attack on the ESG movement and it's uncalled for. And um, he doesn't, the spotlight, well, he just doesn't seem to like the spotlight on the corrupt actuality of what he's doing, but let's hear what he has to, what he believes is this sinister attack on this ESG narrative that he keeps pushing. So it's hard uh, because it's not, it's not business anymore. They're doing it in a personal way. And in the first time in my professional career, um, attacks are now personal. Um, they're trying to demonize issues. Um, in terms of all, long, you know, we're sitting here in Europe. Um, if you do not have a lens towards uh, decarbonization, you're not going to win one, one euro of business. And so um, we, we talk about choice. It, it, you know, we, we are one of the largest hydrocarbon, if not the largest hydrocarbon investor in the world. Uh, because we're the largest indexer and we're, we work with all these different companies. At the same time, we're one of the fastest growing companies related to decarbonization. So just a few points onto what uh, CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, said. First, no one cares if he thinks this movement is being demonized as this is exactly the nature of what this movement, his movement, what he's been behind and a part of has transpired into. He and the ESG movement have politicized everything. And that takes away from the focus on the fiduciary responsibilities of the likes of things, asset managers at BlackRock. So like not disclosing ESG investing by areas like BlackRock at, um, by asset managers is a direct break in the fiduciary responsibility. For example, um, if you have a mutual fund that is voting for things like scope three emission standards or equity reporting, or that they have to have a certain number of corporate board seats based on someone's mutable characteristics or the color of their skin um, within their company, these things, de like focusing on these things, decrease the shareholder's value of their assets. And that mutual fund is not the one paying for this. You, as the one with the tax, with your money in the fund, you are the one that's paying for this. You are the one that's paying the price. Yet the assets owned in the funds by asset managers like BlackRock these, they pretend to act like it's their funds when it's you are the ones that they're using your money, your assets, your investments. And they are taking this action that goes against quite often what your belief systems are and what you may be wishing that they should be going to vote for and proxy vote for on your behalf. Um, it was BlackRock, among others, that made these decisions. They played the woke political game with other people's money. And somehow he, like you see, Larry Fink sits here and he wants people to feel bad that someone said anything against him for what he's doing? I mean, what did he expect? Like, you're, you're screwing over people's financial well-being for your own agenda and pretending it's to be a, about some higher reason. Um, and then he sits there and talks about how he will not win business in Europe without focusing on decarbonization. Okay, that is a problem for them. That's a him problem. That's a BlackRock problem. In no way did they give that. Is this a man? Does that give him a mandate to then use the investors' money in the U.S. to hurt U.S. investors because that's a European mandate? Um, then he goes on even further in that, and he talks about the large hydrocarbon investments while being one of the fastest growing companies investing in decarbonization. What Larry Fink is not telling you, or not saying, 
to anyone right there at the World Economic Forum is that in the U.S., they go after destroying the energy sector, pushing investments away from the fossil fuel industry, which we have directly seen has an impact on our price of goods everywhere, like we've talked about earlier in the show. Um, but the big piece they're not saying there is the exact they, BlackRock is sitting here doing the exact opposite in China in order like in order to win and be a mutual fund manager for the CCP. They're pushing heavy investment in the Chinese fossil fuel industry. And part of that agreement when they went to China to win the win that was they had to go out there and demonize the rest of the rest of the world to try and attack the fossil fuel industry because China knows if you want to be the leading economy in the world, you have to have the cheapest source of energy because that is a lifeblood. That's a lifeblood to an economy. That's a lifeblood to production. So again, here, I mean, they're still destroying it in the U.S., but they're perfectly okay with it in China because BlackRock's making a ton of money. Um, so I ask you this, like, whose side is Larry Fink on, right? With that in mind. And that answer is plainly obvious as it aligns with China's needs while using your invested assets from the U.S. against your, your own needs. All right. So one thing I think that um, is interesting in kind of how you correlate their investments, how they're investing your money against you, right, is is this attack on fossil fuels. So when you drive the when you have this attack on fossil fuels, it drives up the cost of oil, which drives up the cost of fuel, which drives up the cost to harvest, to transport uh, and get these items that you purchase at the store. So so in the grand scheme of things, them attacking the fossil industry is causing half of the inflation. The other half is the government printing trillions of dollars for to be laundered through Ukraine. But this main this main uh, driver of, of cost of, of your daily living is the attack on fossil fuels, right? So if we if we brought back our own production of fossil fuels, right? So we weren't outsourcing it, we could have more control over just the cost of fuel in general. It would drive down the cost of your daily lives. Um, and then, you know, one of the problems I think that a lot of developed countries have is, is when you get to a certain point and, and maybe it's human nature that you look for problems, right? Yeah. Everything's so good. We're, we're, we're flourishing. So, so now we need a, we need to fight for something. We need a, we need a problem, right? So, so the problem is, is the climate, right? Even though, we're probably one of the the least influenced in in the climate pollution, right? It, the greater climate pollution comes from, and this is this is statistical facts. You can look this up. The greater the greater climate pollution comes from Asian countries, which are you know on the lower end of economic income, and African countries, which are on the lower end of economic income, because they essentially haven't gone through the the size of industrial revolution that the developed Western world has, and so. They don't care about pollution. They don't care about how much carbon they put into the world. They don't care about their garbage and the plastic that they put into the ocean. They're just trying to survive. So we've created, created this problem for ourselves that we really don't have a problem with. If we wanted to be, if we truly cared about the planet and wanted to um, make a, a greater impact, we would be helping these poorer nations come up to our standard. Instead, we we take advantage of them and 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 pull every single resource that we can from them without even helping them become halfway up to our level. So it, I think if we, if we really wanted to, 
improve the climate of the earth. We would be focusing on, on countries that actually need help instead of putting the restrictions on us and just driving the cost up for us. Uh, you know, when we help ourselves, we actually help everybody else instead of making life more difficult for ourselves. That one piece, it's like the very keen opportunity that we have, if we want to help these other nations, why, why were, this is where this view of the World Economic Forum and all these type of individuals have come from. They believe that, well, we can't bring them up to up a level, so we have to bring the rest of the world down, right? That is literally the degrowth movement that came out of Europe in the 1970s, right? They want to deindustrialize the planet because they're saying, hey, well, we're too advanced, so we have to lower ourselves to, so to bring down our standards to for whatever reason, as opposed to, which is if you actually want to help these countries, Sean, like you said, you would go into these countries with the cheapest source of energy, but instead you're trying to force them into a very expensive source of energy that they cannot afford, which, like you said, they do not care whatsoever. And even if you believe this, right? You can't have, if you actually believe this and you're trying to save the planet, you can't have part of the world doing one thing and another part of the world not doing another thing because China and all these other occasions, they don't care. So no matter what you do, no matter what we do, destroy our lives, lower standards of living, um, drive up your cost of living, everything, it won't matter because you're not going to affect it because other areas of the world, you're not going to get China and other areas around the world are going to be able to do this. So I think that kind of segues right into one last um, article on this area. Uh, and that has to do exactly with this premise that uh, Daniel Horowitz wrote for the wrote an article in The Blaze. And it's basically saying that Republicans must stop accepting the premise of the carbon, carbon climate fascism agenda. Uh, so it kind of points, Sean, exactly what you're saying there, too, and what we've been talking about in this. We must stop accepting the premise that carbon the, of this carbon climate fascist agenda, the agenda of those like Larry, Flink, Larry Fink with BlackRock. Um, just as with COVID, right, the Republicans have largely accepted the false premise behind the global warming agenda, which is depleting our quality of life, crushing our, our freedoms, and making everything expensive. They merely object to the ex to the extreme to which the Democrats are taking it. However, once you accept that premise, you lose the argument, which is why the Republicans have joined with the climate regulations on things like appliances and green energy mandates and subsidies and all this ethanol for years. Right Now, with so much of the scientific premise being exposed as a scam – just like the COVID vaccine, just like the mask science, it's time to reverse this uh, climate policy that is rooted in the premise of carbon being a pollutant. Like carbon dioxide at the end of the day is not a pollutant. We could not live without carbon dioxide. Our planet, the way God made it, has to have a perf the absolute perfect measurement of how much CO2 we have in it for us to be able to live. As same as oxygen, right? Car we could not, as which is why we could not live without it. Our food comes from photosynthesis, which works off the very carbon dioxide climate alarmists are trying, but failing, to expunge from the air. The entire premise that carbon is a ba is bad and that green energy, aka the de-evolution of society or the degrowth movement we've been talking about, um, will somehow mitigate carbon levels in the atmosphere and change climate is it's kind of absurd. As you know, just as it was that stopping respiratory virus with a mask, right? Uh, and well, look, I'm not going to go a lot deeper into that aspect uh, that we have in 
as we've already dug into already here today. And we look, we've talked about ESG. And honestly, this is a theme that we're going to continue to drive throughout many different episodes because this is their big Trojan horse. This is what they're using to drive everything into society. Um, this is where you can see the leftist standard of value is anti-life. It turns out that the, Sean, look at this one. The same year that the renewables in the planet increased by 12% and coal was decreased by 8%, the U.S. carbon emissions still ticked up 1.3% in 2022. Meanwhile, despite increasing carbon dioxide levels over the past decade, regardless of our energy policies, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, you know, one of the useless agencies of our government uh, put out data that that shows no evidence of any global warming since 2015. And actually, in 2012, it was almost one of the coldest years on record. So again, that's just to point out this whole thing has been one of the largest government-run Ponzi schemes. And it is good that people are starting to wake up to this. It's good that Ron DeSantis is stepping up um, to protect the citizenry. Uh, it's good for other other states that are doing it, and corporations need to actually start waking up to this. Yeah, yeah. Right? I think it's uh, another th- another thing to note um, that I don't know if it was the same uh, government entity or not that just recently said, I think at the end of last year, that the ozone hole that we we thought was a hole, right, is basically almost completely repaired. Um, so there's no longer an ozone hole like we've been told at least for me and you growing up in the uh, 90s and early 2000s. Um, so that's that's kind of a relevant issue. And then um, the carbon dioxide, I'm glad that you pointed out the photosynth- photosynthesis thing. I think it, everybody forgets how science works and how you know plants actually grow. Um, but one other thing that I'd like to note on that that um, I think is also lost on a lot of people is if you take um, the last two volcanic eruptions and probably even if you just went back to 1980 and the Mount St. St. Helens eruption put out more carbon dioxide than than we have ever produced, right? So this, this is not like it's the first time our, our earth has developed and, and grown through multiple volcanic eruptions around the world time and time again. And, and what we've done in, in 100 years is a, a mere spec on the on the spectrum of of life on earth so i think we're really just created a problem again that that's not really a problem we we our life is so good that we had to create a problem and then when we create a problem problems drive corruption so then you get you know politicians and their spouses who have these consulting firms that that profit off of this right so uh you know we need to we need to figure out a way to stand up and start fighting back and, and saying, you know, not accept this for one and, and saying if your spouse has a consulting firm, they can't have anything to do with government spending, right? So, um, <laughs> no, it's just how they lobby and how they influence <laughs> that that we can, you know, watch out. <laughs> it, I will say, which is why you look at these corporations and you have those big, like Accenture is literally going to every a lot of these corporations to, push people and give advice and tell them how they should push their ESG. Like all the big consulting firms are, they're all going after pushing that standard. Um, but yeah, not to divert you should have shown. Yeah. I should have been a consultant. I think maybe I should get into the consulting world. Well, that's where I just 
deal with negotiating these contracts every other day anyway on the other side of the world against them. So I, I see all the nonsense they're bringing forward into the asset management industry. Oh my God. And it, they're like, and essentially that's what I'm saying. Like these certain ones, they're pouring this in all about the ESG. Here's your sustainability reporting. Here's how we can help you and blah, blah, blah. It's ridiculous. And that affects how everything goes back down the pipe. Um, and then they, and even look, some of these ones, they'll, they'll threaten. Some of these companies will be like, oh, we'll pull you pull some of our assets out of your company. If you don't do what we say. Right. I mean, look at some of these corporations, you look at some of that in that standards with diversity, equity, inclusion, you had Microsoft going after some asset managers saying you either do what we say or else we're going to lose, we'll pull our money out of you too. From like institutional investing side, that's a concern. This is why it's important to understand that God put us on this planet to be a good steward of his planet and use his resource rightly. And what we are doing and with this leftist movement of today's environmentalists, it's not pleasing to God. Like God didn't tell us to come here and destroy human life and make life wor worse for people um, and push people into poverty and make uh, people's lives you know, worse than they were before. Because this whole idea when we actually created fossil fuel and how it's created the booming industrial revolution, that and capitalism, actually, this is the one thing when you look at the United States, Sean, you can look around and you find pockets of poverty in a wealthy nation, right? Take that around to other nations that don't believe what we believe and where they've came from. You find pockets of wealth and poverty everywhere. It's the polar opposite. So which side do we want to be on? That's the question. I know what side I want to be on. <laughs> it's But, all right, so let's change gears and let's jump in this on this ATF piece, and then we'll wrap it up for, for today. Yeah, ATF, um, an unelected government office, um, setting the rules and standards for how the Second Amendment is interpreted, um, just came out with a new law. Uh, let's see here. Uh, where do I start? Um, okay, so oh, I wanted to start off by reading uh, from the ATF website what they say their organization is supposed to be for. Uh, the ATF is a law enforcement agency in the United States of the Justice Department of Justice that protects our communities from violent crimes, criminal organizations, the illegal use and trafficking of firearms, the illegal use and storage of explosives, acts of arson, bombing, acts of terrorism, and the illegal diversion of alcohol and tobacco products. We partner with communities, industry, law enforcement, and public safety agencies to safeguard the public we serve, safeguard the public we serve through information sharing, training, research, and use of technology, right? So protect our communities from violent criminals, criminal organizations, and the illegal use and trafficking of firearms, right? But they determine what yep. the illegal use is. Uh, and, and so there was a new rule um, that came out somewhat cryptic. It says that if any individual manufacturer or retailer that puts a brace on a firearm that was, that was not designated as a pistol and has a barrel under 16 inches is now considered a short barrel rifle on the National Firearm Act. That means to uh, legally remain in the configuration, it will... It would require a tax stamp registration with the Bureau of ATF. Um, so basically what this is saying, and before this law, if you had a gun that had a barrel less than 16 inches, but was 27 inches overall, it was legal. Uh, and, now, and now this gets into the discussion of how short of a barrel before it becomes uh, a short barrel rifle, which they consider um, 
it falls under the NFA Act of 1934, which means that it's it's too short, it's easily concealable, and so it's that makes it more dangerous. Uh, and, and in order to have it legally uh, acquired, you have to pay $200 stamp tax to the United States government and register it with them so they know that you have it. Um, and so with this new law, they're giving everybody a 120-day grace period to register their firearm and say, hey, I have this short barrel rifle. Um, and the, the tax will be we will be waived. Um, now, one of the interesting things is, is the current waiting period. Um, Sean, I'll say the current waiting period on that one. Well, it, when you actually file these things going actually through like an NFA, get something like stamp, get a tax stamp, right? Nine months. Yeah. So well, they say you have 120 days, which means even if you do it, what it like, that's putting people in the position that says, the second you register it, they're going to be like, all right, now we're not going to get back to you in time. And now you're automatically a felon, which is it, the concern. It actually goes, it actually goes a, a step deeper than that. So, so you, you have to go through a background check too, in order to get, uh, to qualify for the tax, right? The wave tax stamp. Um, and, and that has to be completed within. So there's, there's two, there's two, um, steps to this. First, you have to go through the background check to make sure that you can, you can have the NFA item. And then it takes, you know, the, up to the nine months, it's nine months to a year, I think currently on them actually issuing you or the, the, the stamp and saying you're approved. Right now, the caveat to this is, is that if the background check is not completed within like 88 days or something like that. 85 days um it's it's automatically closed and 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 so basically you're you're not approved and what that means is 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 that if you're if you're not approved and they know that you have this well then that means that they can take forcible action so what's going to end up happening is all these folks are going to try and do the legal thing and say submit to get a tax stamp saying that hey i have this gun i'm, I'm letting you know I'm, I'm trying to be within the law but they're they're not going to be able to register or do all these background checks in a timely manner, which is then going to take you over the, the legal waiting period, which now puts you at out of, so you, they know you have a gun that's at, that's uh, needs to be registered. Well, they, cre- they that created they, yeah, that, that they created as registry illegal in a registry. Um, so they know that you're going to have a weapon that's not registered and you didn't get approved for your background check. And so now you are a felon and they can take actionable um, force against you and, and go into your home, take that weapon from you and prosecute you, even though you tried to do the right thing and they just didn't keep up to their side of the agreement. Um, and, and so basically what this is, is saying that, you know, you can't have a stock on a shorter uh, firearm, on a, on a firearm that has a short, shorter barrel than 16 inches. Um, and so what they're saying is essentially this is easier to conceal and, and more uh, deadly when in reality it really has no effect on, on anything. But on violent crimes, there's no, no dif- differentiation between a, a pistol or a rifle in the size of it and, and crimes committed. Um, and, and this kind of has a, a lot of impact on, on disabled people um, and a lot of disabled veterans. Right? There's a lot of folks that, that got you know hit with IEDs that need to have uh, a brace because they can't physically carry a 16 inch barrel gun anymore right so then you get a you get a smaller rifled uh weapon with a a a brace on it that allows you to 
effectively hold the gun with one hand. It makes it easier for you to be able to protect yourself. Well, now they're saying that that's not legal and you can't do that. So now you're taking a, a subset of, of, of people who are, are trying to legally protect themselves and are now essentially felons and can't protect themselves because they don't have the means to do it. Um, so it's just another overreach of government three-letter words um, impacts that they have. And, and one thing that I wanted to, some, some facts that I wanted to call out in the ATF and, and gun laws real quick, if I can. So the, uh, it's like nine facts um, that, that gun control and, and kind of goes against the ATF's reasoning on, on their um their laws that they that they're trying not even laws they're not laws because they don't have the ability to enact laws their their rules really and if it's not a law it, it, how can it be enforced right it, it's kind of perplexing how this how we've gotten into this world of ATFs and FBIs and stuff enforcing these rules yeah. that aren't actually laws um, anyways uh, eleven teens die each day because of texting while driving. So why don't we raise the minimum age of smartphone ownership? Right. Um, um, if gun controls laws actually worked, why is Chicago the highest uh, murder rate in the country? They have the strictest gun laws. Well, that's right. In the country, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to mention <laughs> Chicago. That's the. Just like also, regardless, not to jump right, in fine. between of it, like the two recent shoot, two of the recent shootings that they want to go over the mainstream to make like as a distraction of stuff of look, yes, it's concerning, yes, it's an issue, um, but they're in California, yeah, um, and then like two the, that's two the two of them, and then what was that last one of the other last recent ones was the one in Colorado, yeah, they're all in the some of the strictest gun law states, and the gun laws don't work, but yeah. I digress. The the Second Amendment makes women equal. Uh, more equal than the feminist movement. Um, just. Well, yeah, because they body. should look, it's ultimate, it's ultimate equalizer. When you have a male of varying sizes, mm -hmm. right? Naturally, anyone's aligned to themselves. If you don't think the male body is, could, could definitely be built at a much stronger stature. And no matter what, that makes the ultimate, ultimate equalizer yeah. for females. Uh, and that's also why female ownership has skyrocketed in recent yep. years. Legal gun owners have uh, 300 million guns and probably close to a trillion rounds of ammo. Uh, if we had a gun problem, you would probably know well, about yeah. it. Well, yeah. You would know it if there was a problem. Uh, the, National Rice, the National Rifle Association murders zero people, receives nothing in government funding. Planned Parenthood kills 350,000 babies every year and receives $500 million in tax dollars. The NRA actually, and also spends millions of dollars in safe mm -hmm. training every year for people of all yep. ages. Um, so in order to, to purchase a firearm, you have to go through a pretty vigorous background check uh, that goes through the, F the FBI um, database to see if you're a felon or if you're a wanted person, right? So... Uh, but we don't have that same rigor for immigration, voter ID, uh, or candidates running for office, um, right? So if we want to equalize things, let's let's keep it an equal playing field and, and hold the same level of background checks for, for folks across the board that come to running our country and having impacts in our country. And then one last thing that I think is quite, um, again, the hypocrisy that, that's coming out of our government is just 
outlandish these days. Um, but the government that left, you know, seven billion dollars in arms and equipment in Tal in the Taliban to the Taliban, and telling us, you know, what we need to do with our our firearms um, is quite interesting. You know, we we left. I don't want to hear anything out of them about like any like this stuff on the Second Amendment. When you dumped money to the Taliban and weapons, I should say, left behind billions of dollars of weapons, ammunition, equipment to the Taliban that they can then and are using against us in certain areas. And guess what? Vladimir Putin is now in negotiations to get a U.S. equipment from the Taliban in Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's quite it's quite interesting. One last thing that I just wanted to note here, I kind of jumped over a bunch of stuff, but in 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 this in the most simplest form, if the if you have a rifle that has a barrel of less than sixteen inches and it has a a brace right that that can go into your shoulder, it effectively becomes illegal. And I think I think we're probably down to like a hundred. 95 days now 90 95 to 100 days till that when that officially goes into effect and when that goes into effect um uh let's see here oh yeah so if it's not approved in 80 days right the atf can take enforceable action so if if um when it goes into effect the consequences of an unlawful possession of an unregistered sbr is punishable by 10 years imprisonment and a ten thousand dollar fine or both, right? So 10 years imprisonment or $10,000 fine or both, right? So that's what effectively um, is on the line for what is today law-abiding citizens and tomorrow felons. One thing to note to that too, Sean, which I'll say from my time at the U.S. Attorney's Office, one of the most concerning factor things that we did on this started under the Obama administration, when people look at all these gang cases, like a lot of the cases that I worked on, one of the things that commonly happens, they plea down the they take plea deals, right? They take a plea deal to lower their sentence, to lower their drug charge, lower their traffic, whatever. Um, and they're back on the streets in a year later, right? But what they do is a lot of these charges, what we started doing is it was coming down from the DOJ that we had to remove any gun charge because a gun charge, most of them like this, what the ATF's trying to do, most of them put in a uh, mandatory 10 years prison sentence. But why would you want to remove that if you actually want to like these if all these gang related cases, these individuals being arrested with firearms in their possession while trying to drug deal or whatever it may be. But just to put it out there, that was happening, which caused a lot of issues when individuals that should have been in prison should have been in prison longer. were back on the street. And guess what? That year later, they were still committing more violence and more crimes to leave that on a happy ending of the uh, show, which <laughs> that was. The whole the whole theme that I'm trying we're trying to throw out there has to do around the processes, the punishment, because no matter what you do, whether it's control through ESG, whether it's how they're trying to put this idea of, oh, we need to gun control, gun safety, we need to ram this through, and then what they're actually doing is taking law law abiding citizens and turning them into felons. And the process to go through that is their punishment. That's what we always gotta remember, right? So a lot of these things that even when you see when we go through um legal action against these things, the process of having to go through and fight these things to them, that's a part of it. And that is their punishment. That's all we got. Uh, there's a lot of stuff we have to understand when we are from a, from a Christian perspective and a conservative like worldview lens that God put us on this planet to have dominion over it and subdue it and use it for his resources 
fruitfully to development th- develop things for his good. He didn't put it on this planet so that we can make things worse and diminish the life livelihood, create more poverty, and everything we're going down this path of. And or he didn't put uh, us on this planet to have these government bureaucrats come in to believe that they are little gods themselves and they can control it and come after people's lives and create ter- law-abiding citizens into felons. So with that, Sean, you got anything before we wrap? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were building up to something. There was like a moment there and then it was just nothing. Okay. I'm so frustrated got with you. our government and the money laundering that's going on and we essentially have no control. It's just... Um, yeah. Well, that's the big thing. And we'll dig that further with like Joe Biden and all that stuff. Look, that's one of the largest scandals around foreign influence peddling. Um, and that's what it's been since Russiagate, since all that stuff back when they took, wanted to throw Trump out. It was always about information laundering and foreign influence. And now because that all Trump was in there, they had to throw him out and get him out of the way. I digress because that's going to be further more to come as they're going to continue to unravel that. Thank you, guys. Uh, if you look, you like what you're listening to, give us a follow, a like. Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Uh, you can follow us on most social media platforms at Liberty at The Liberty Matters. And thank you all. Have a great week. And remember to stand for truth, kneel for God, be the light. God bless America.